So I did a little search on my favorite search engine, DuckDuckGo, and uh, my search question was this, what should you let go of? That's the search that I did. What should you let go of? Now, when I searched this question, on the first page alone, there were different posts. 20 things to let go of in 2022 for a happier and better life. I scrolled down a little further. 41 simple things to let go of so you can be happy. I scroll down further. 47 things to let go of from your life this year. I went down further. 101 plus things to let go of to find happiness in 2022. I was honestly afraid to go to the next page. I, I don't know where does this stop. Apparently, we have a lot of things to let go of. There's, there's stuff that we're holding on to that's not good for us. And apparently, according to these writers, according to these posts, the, the, the key to happiness, a major key to happiness, you want to be happy in life, you want to have joy in life, you need to let go of some things. Is there anybody on that? Would anybody agree with that? that you feel like that's true? Well, these are some of the things, obviously I'm not going to read off 101 plus things to you this morning, but I am going to share with you just some, because I want you to be thinking about, well, maybe... You know, I, I want you to feel like this message applies to you, and I want you to think, well, are these some things that I'm holding on to? So just think about it. What are, what are you holding on to? What do you need to let go of? Maybe it's past hurts. Been hurt in the past. Still holding on to that. Grudges. Grudges. You got a grudge against somebody. You're holding on to that grudge. Anybody guilty as charged already? I haven't even gotten two down, right? And we're like, oh, no. Um, past mistakes, your past mistakes, excuses, regrets. My wife and I like to say, when we say to ourselves, oh, I should have did this, or I should have did that, quit shooting on yourself. doesn't <laughs> smell good, all right? Worry, holding on to worry, jealousy. Last week I talked about doubt which leads to fear. Those negative emotions, are you holding on to those right now? Toxic relationships. Comparing yourself to everybody else. Things you can't change, but you keep trying to change. Thinking that you can't change. That fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset. Are you holding on to a sense of entitlement because of where you live and what culture you're in? And here's my favorite. Are you holding on to perceived control? Perceived control, that sense of, I'm in control of this situation. Are you holding on to any of these things? And if you are, well then this popular saying is just for you. Let go and let God. How many of you have heard that one before? Let go and let God. My daughter has this saying in her room. She's right over here on my right. And she knows that I've been preaching the last uh, several Sundays on the common sayings that Christians like to say versus God's promises. Like, is this really true? Is this biblically correct? And when I saw it, I said, that's interesting. And my daughter knows when I say that's interesting, <laughs> I don't really mean that it's interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about it. 
I'm processing it. It's like when your kid excitedly says, oh, uh, my friend is having a party and I'm invited to go. And it's that same friend that gets in trouble all the time. That's interesting. Or, 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 or when your buddy says, oh, oh, I got, I got this tip on this new startup company and you should invest all your money into it. And you're like, that's interesting. Or, or when your friend tells you, oh, I found the perfect guy for you. He's got the best personality. That's interesting. <laughs> Feel free to use that saying anytime. And if you hear me say it, I know you're going to call me out on it. But my daughter picked up on it. She knew what I was saying. And I was processing it. What does this truly mean? Let go and let God. And um, she asked, you know, is it biblically correct? She was worried, you know. Do I have to take it off my wall now, you know? Um, and... Um, I said, it just depends on how it apply, how you apply it to your life. How do you interpret it? You know, are you interpreting it within the context of God's word, or are you making it say what you want it to say? Which is what a lot of Christians do. We take Bible verses and pull them out and say, oh, I want this to say what I want it to say, and we twist it. I know somebody else who likes to twist God's word and make it say something else. His name's the devil. So you got to be careful. So... My internet search proves, shows that we got some things we need to let go of. We're holding on to some things that are affecting our happiness in life. And the common advice is you should just let go of it. If you just let go of those things, you'll be happy. But that's not actually true. Because if you let go of one thing, you will surely grab on to another thing. I mean, that's just the reality of who we are as people. You know that person who is always in conflict with at least one other person. And the reason why you know that person is because you've been on their poop list before. Am I right? Yeah, they've been mad at you before. And if they're not mad at you, they're mad at somebody else. They're always mad at someone because nobody can just let go and be happy. You need to let go of the bad and grab on to the good. Am I right? And nobody, nobody is as good as God. He is good all the time. Am I right? Church, we talked about this two couple Sundays ago. Church is good all the time. So let go and let God. That's fine as long as it means you're letting go of the bad and you're holding on to God who is good. God will help you. Positive vibes will not. I cringe when I see this on social media, when I hear people say that, oh, I'm having a rough day, can you just send me some positive vibes? No, you need Jesus and a hug, okay? That's what you need, my friend, and I'm going to give you both. I am ready to give you both Jesus and a hug. How do you let go and let God? How do you do that? It's a good saying, but... How do you actually do that? I mean, I don't want you to throw out your wall decorations if you have that in your house. There's a few things I want to share with you that I think will help you. And somebody's going to help me on that mic there, too, so I don't keep dinging. Identify, first of all, what's hurting you. I did a little search on the Internet. Saw lots of things and was like, ooh, that one hurts, because I'm holding on to that. Ooh, that one. I read them to you. You, you find it. But I'm going to tell you how you can find it the best way. I'm also going to share with you how you can surrender to God, as we sang, and as we'll sing again. How do we surrender to God, like, practically, realistically? What does that mean? 
Because we hear that all the time. How do we let go? How do we surrender? And then lastly, how do we hold on to God? And why do we hold on to God? So that's kind of what I'm going to get into with, with the Word this morning. If you're good with that, will you, if you want that, if you want to know all those answers, um, I ask you to pray with me. But most of the time we pray like this. This is kind of my default way to pray. But I've encouraged us also that it's okay to pray with our palms up is to receive. So let's pray with our palms up to receive the word today. Father, I thank you that you have given us your Bible. I thank you that you've given us this place to meet, to gather. For the church is not a building, it's the body of Christ. It's all of us here, and we're here to hear. We're here to see truth, real truth, absolute truth from your word. We live in a, in a postmodern world that basically says anything can be true if it's true for you, and that's not true. God, what's true is what you tell us is true. And God, I want to hear truth today. We want that, and we want to apply that to our lives so we can get closer to you and draw nearer to you and show and see and experience your love for us. So God, please let us receive that today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you to read your Bible just as Brandon testified today. He wants you to open up your Bible and read it, and so do I. I want you to read your Bible because if you read your Bible, and I understand that's a big if, I keep going back to when Pastor Jason was here a couple weeks ago and how he shared that statistic about the younger generation, the generation growing up right now. It's 1 in 25 that have a biblical worldview. It's shrunk down to 1 in 25 one in 25 have a biblical worldview. That means they have no concept of what God is saying about creation, about his love, about redeeming, nothing. One in 25, that's scary. So if you read your Bible, it's a big if, but if you read your Bible, God will reveal what you are holding on to, what's going on that, 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 that's not good for you. You say, well, how is that possible? I mean, I'll just read the Bible. It's just a book. How is that possible? How does this work? When you pick up your Bible, it's like picking up a phone and listening to God the Father in heaven talking to God the Holy Spirit living in you. If you're a Christian, Brandon testified to that, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You have God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, they're speaking. When you pick up the phone, you're listening. What do you do? What do you mean by pick up the phone? You, you read your Bible. That's picking up the phone. So if you pick up the phone and you listen to God's word, it's a living and active. It's alive. It speaks to you. It actually, like a mirror, reveals what's in your heart. Now, if you don't want to know what's in your heart, then don't read the Bible. Trust me. Because it will, it will, in some cases, it will hurt it will hurt because you will not like what you see that's in your heart. Jesus had some pretty, you know, we think of Jesus as, oh, he's love and God is love. But you know what? Jesus had some pretty abrasive conversations with some religious leaders and telling them that, you know, on the outside you look really good. You look really religious because you got your cross on and you dressed up and you, you look religious. But on the inside, you are not clean. You're dirty. Your heart is ugly. When you read the Bible, God is going to reveal your heart. Not so he can throw it in your face. Not so he can put you down. But so he can clean you. So he can love you 
the way you need to be loved. So read your Bible. I suggested last week, start with the Gospels and Exodus, because that's, when you look there, you'll see how God relates to his people, how he relates to us today. He relates the same. God doesn't change. He's still relating to us. It's a relationship. This is, Christianity was never a religion. It's a relationship. So we're in this relationship with God. Read about how he reveals. And if you were to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, you'd get to Mark, and you'd get to chapter 10, and you'd be at where I'm at today. Mark chapter 10. And if you want to open up a Bible to that, there's blue Bibles in a chair in front of you. They're free for you. If you want to take home a Bible today, that's one of the gifts we have for you. We also have these awesome coffee mugs I drink from every Sunday morning. Actually, I drink from them every morning. We have two, but I steal my wife's all the time. They say life of purpose on them. I, I like them. So you have Mark chapter 10. You're going to see this great example of Jesus talking to a young man and revealing to this young man his problem, his heart problem. You see, this man was Jewish. And we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. If you come on Wednesday night, we're diving deep into Romans. What a great book to study, the book of Romans. We're in chapter 2, and we've been diving deep, and we've been discovering that when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, what he's writing to them, and he's writing in this particular chapter 2 to the Jewish people, and he's explaining to them that because you're Jewish, because when a person is Jewish, they think that under the law of Moses and their ethnicity, their special relationship with God, they automatically go to heaven. That's what Jewish people believe. And Paul is saying that's not true. And so here's this young man that Jesus is talking to, and Jesus is saying, so are you going to, you know, he was, actually the man approached Jesus was like, you know, thinking he was good. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I obey the law. And they went through like some of the law, some of the Ten Commandments. And he says, yeah, I've, I've honored all of them, Jesus. And then Jesus, <laughs> then Jesus says this in Mark 10, verse 21. I like this part because it says Jesus looked at him. And when Mark says that, that means he looked him right in the eye. And you know how uncomfortable it can be sometimes when someone looks you right in the eye? You know, I've, I've found that some people have really good eye contact. They can look you right in the eye, but as soon as you look at them, if you look at them for more than a second, they like turn away. Like, they don't want... Some people have a hard time looking you direct. I think this man looked... Jesus. I think Jesus looked this man right in the eye. But then look what it says right after that. He looked at him, and what did it say? He loved him. So you can tell when he's talking to this man that he is not bashing this man. He wants this man to see the truth. And he looks him right in the eye, and he says, he loves him. It says he loves him. And he looks at him in the eye, and he says, you lack this one thing, young man. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me, like these other 12 guys are doing, like these other people are doing. Come, follow me. But verse 22, it says, Disheartened by the saying, the young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus then looked around and he said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those that have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Church, what was this man not willing to let go of? His money. His money. Because his money was his idol. His money gave him a perceived control. 
a perceived sense of control over his life. He knew money can buy me things. Money can, can, can get me into powerful positions. Money can do a lot of things for me, just like it can do for you today. But to surrender it all and to follow you, a not very well-known you know, rabbi who's suspect and the religious leaders don't even like, and you want me to just leave everything and follow you? Now that seems pretty foolish. I'm not going to do that. But I think this man is just like us today here in America in the middle class. I know that most of us in this room don't think we're wealthy. I know you don't. But if you have running water and a toilet indoors, you're pretty darn rich. If you make $40,000 or more a year, you are richer than 97% of the world. Did you know that? The median yearly income of all the people in the world, is $850 a year. Some of us can't even last two weeks on $850, let's be honest. We can't. But that's the average income of the world per year, per person. $850. So you're wealthy. I mean, let's just get past that and understand that. You're wealthy. You got a lot of money. But are you holding on to it like this young man is instead of God? Are you holding on to that? Does money give you a sense of control in your life? And this is just one example. This is just one story in the Bible that if you read it, believe me, there will be more things. That when you read it, God speaks to your heart. God opens up your heart and he says, look, look in the mirror. Look at what's going on in your life. This is something that you need to let go of. This is not good in your life. You need to trust me. You need to let go and follow me. And when God speaks to you, when you really hear from God, I love that genuine testimony of Brandon and how God spoke to him. And it usually brings us to tears. It usually is emotional. When God speaks to you, it's going to bring you to a crisis of faith. A crisis of faith. Do I really trust God? I'm hearing you, God, but do I really trust you? Do I really believe that you can do what you say you can do? Can I let go and let God? And then you start to think, is this my best option? Because i got options B, C, and D over here in my head that I like a little bit better. Is this the best option? Well, I want to tell you what Jesus said to his disciples the very last teaching before he went to the cross. They were walking from that intimate time where he washed his disciples' feet and they had their last supper and they're walking through a vineyard and Jesus stops with his disciples in John 15, 5 and he has this little teaching for them. And he says to them in 15, 5, John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me lives in me and I in him. There's that whole relationship thing. Whoever follows me, loves me, walks with me. He says, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do anything you want. No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know if you cut off a branch on a tree, it will not produce fruit. It will not produce fruit. You need Christ to be successful because apart from him, you can do nothing. 
So you need to surrender to God. Letting go is not the best option. Letting go is the only option. Think about that. Let that sink in. Letting go is not the best option. It's the only option. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. You must let go. Now, there are some things you should not let go of. I want to tell you briefly the the antithesis, if you will, of this the opposite, things you should not let go of. You should not let go in an irresponsible manner like some do, I think. The Christian life is often a spiritual battle. Have you heard that before? Yes. God's word tells us to be ready, to fight the good fight of faith, to endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, to put on that full armor of God we see in Ephesians 6 so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. That means that you shouldn't let go of your marriage if it's struggling. You should fight for your marriage. You shouldn't let your kids just go out and do whatever it is that they're going to do. You should fight for your kids. You should fight for the rights of unborn children. You should fight for people as God would fight for people. There are things you can't let go of. You must fight for. Don't throw up your hands and just say, oh, whatever, I'll let go. No, this isn't the 70s. I don't even go back that far, but I like to dig (laughs) dig on them some. Or the 60s, I should say, too. You can't let go of everything and let the devil do his thing. Amen? Yeah, there's some things we need to fight for. So why is it the best option? Three verses you really should mark in your Bible. You should memorize these if you are good at memorizing. Or at least highlight them, know them. I've talked about them many times before because it shows why you can trust God. Why you can trust God. First of all, it's in Romans 8, 28. First song we sang was based on this verse. Romans 8, 28 tells us, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If you're called by God, God will work out everything for good. Now, I don't recommend that you say that to someone right after they lose someone. Okay, This is a long-term understanding here. This is not necessarily in the short term. God will work out all things for the good. God's timeless takes time. We have to have patience to understand this. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Is it not a process? Is your growth in your faith a process? Yes. Are you stronger in your faith? Are you closer to God this year than you were in 2021? I hope so. Will you be stronger in 2023? I hope so. In fact, if you keep coming to Life of Purpose, you will be, I promise you. And it's not because of me or Jamie or anyone else. It's because all of us, all of us, because I think it's Ephesians tells us that we, we equip the saints to build up everyone else. We edify one another. We build up one another. I'm constantly in amazement when people ask me, hey, how's the church going? Because that's what people ask pastors, right? I mean, that's the question I get more than anything. How's your family? How's the church? Right? That's, you know, some people ask you, how's your family? How's your job? 
right? So how's the church? I'm amazed at what God is doing here. I can't believe it. Sometimes I'm just in amazement. I'm like, I, I am just so like, I get out of the way. Okay, God, you, you do what you're going to do. I mean, we have this baby pantry out here. We're blessing moms. I mean, it, it is just, we have, a we have a recovery Bible study that is just, I mean, there are so many things going on. God is doing so many things. I'll get off task here. <laughs> Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared them beforehand so we would walk in them. So God has this wonderful, masterful plan for you. And oftentimes, you'll be like, well, I don't really feel that close to God. I don't really feel like things are, are happening right now. I feel pretty distant from God. Perhaps you haven't let go of some things. Because I don't believe you can really experience God's plan, His amazing plan, until you let go of some things. I think those things go together. So when you let go, God will work together all things for good. And how do you do that? How do you practically do this? How do you give it to God? Surrender, let go. I love the example of Jacob in the Bible. There was Abraham, then there was Isaac, then there's Jacob. And Jacob in his, his younger years, we'll say, got himself into some trouble with his brother, you know, with his father-in-law. And he's kind of on the move right now in this particular story I'm going to bring you to. He's on the move. He's actually leaving trouble, heading into trouble. And his relationship with God, if you look closely at it, it, it wasn't like rock solid. It, it, it was, there were was some pieces in there where he had some encounters with God. He had some blessings from God. But he wasn't like super strong in his faith. We wouldn't say like, oh man, this is a guy like I want to follow. So he's in this place where he, he he's kind of knows he's going to be meeting with his brother and he's afraid of what his brother's going to do to him. And uh, Genesis 32 takes us there. And so he's spending the night alone. He's all by himself. He's all alone. And I'm sure he's praying and he's talking to God and he's trying to get closer to God and he's out there in nature and um, there's no electricity, so... You know what, there, when you get outside the city, you know how beautiful it can be. And he's out under, underneath all the stars. And he's all alone. Verse 24, Genesis 32. A man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of day. This is not an ordinary man. Okay? This is an angel from God. It's revealed in Scripture. This is an angel. This is somebody that God sent. Angel means messenger, by the way. This is a messenger from God to meet with Jacob and to have a talk with him. Well, their talk is a wrestling match <laughs> all night long. And the man said, the man saw, the angel saw, he did not prevail. That word's important. He didn't overpower Jacob. He didn't prevail against Jacob. So because he didn't, prevail against him, overpower him. He touches his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So he kind of lost some leverage there. Some might say, well, you cheated, angel. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> Who knows? We don't know what's going on here. But he said, let me go. The angels, let me go. The day has broken. The day has dawned. It's been all night long. I'm tired of wrestling with you. I got some other things to do. I don't know. But Jacob says this, and I think you need to make sure you hear this. Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Just think about that. I'm not letting go of you, God, until you bless me. 
That's really important because I think there's a lot of us in this room that need to do that. Don't let go until God blesses you. He wrestled with them for hours through the night and he wouldn't let go until God blessed them. And then God says this in verse 27. What's your name? He said, Jacob. He says, no, your name will no longer be called Jacob. Your name is now Israel. For you have striven with God. You have wrestled with God and with men. I know your past. And you have prevailed. Now, you know he didn't win the wrestling match. So what did he prevail against? He didn't give up. He didn't, he didn't hold on to the past. He, he held on to God. It was God who he was looking for the help from, the blessing from, the power from. So what does it mean to let go and let God? It means you hold on to God like Jacob did until he blesses you. And sometimes that's going to take some time. Sometimes you're going to wrestle for a long time with God. But hold on until you get that blessing. Please hold on. Because God will bless you. In the end, Jacob learned to trust God's power rather than his own. And we know this because of what God clears up with his new name. I love this. In Genesis 35, I don't have it on the screen for you, but Jacob basically has this new name and God is revealing to him what his name means. You know the names mean something. And the name Israel, we always say Israel, but it's really, two me, it's really two words. It's the word Isra and the word El. The word El means God. We see those names of God in the Bible. Elohim, that means you know God. There's always a name revealing God's character. El means God. Isra means prevail or power. So he's saying to Jacob, your name is God is power, or God prevails, because he's doing that in your life, because you will not let go of me. You are holding on to me and nothing else. But he says, Jacob, your name is Israel, but I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God Almighty, God Most Powerful. It's the same conversation Peter had with Jesus. You're the little rock, Peter. That's what Peter means, little rock but I'm the big rock. I'm the rock of your salvation. You are Jacob. You have power, but I am El Shaddai. I am all-powerful. I am God Almighty. And that's why Jacob had no problem holding on to God the rest of his life. And the sooner you realize that when you hold on to God, he is all-powerful, and he will help you overcome anything that's going on in your life. God is all-powerful. And the reality is, the things that you fail to let go of will actually begin to have power over you. It's true. Whatever you're holding on to right now, it will begin to control you. You will become powerless to it. You will think you have power over it and control over it, but you don't. Because there is no greater power than what God can give you. And that's why you need to let go and let God, hold on to God. I want to finish with this, this sort of, I, I think it's a practical way of surrendering. How do you do that? How do you surrender to God? I'm going to use the example because I think it's important. And it's the example of recovery. How do you let go and let God? This recovery program has been working for 85 years. 85 years since it, was, since it began in 1935. Men and women have been using 
the teachings of Alcoholics Anonymous to overcome their addiction. But did you know that these teachings, these 12 steps of recovery, come directly from the Bible? They come directly from God's Word. Now, I understand today that there are AA programs that they tout them as a-religious. They talk about a higher power, and they talk, but you need to understand where they came from. The man who, who, who wrote them, okay, Bill Wilson, he basically got it from, and he credits the Oxford Group, which was a Christian mission, the Oxford Group, as saving his life. And he wrote these to help people overcome their addiction. And I'm telling you, it's the same exact thing that you need to do to overcome whatever it is you're holding on to. Because that becomes an addiction in your life. It becomes a stronghold, we use the word in the Bible, the stronghold in your life. It gets a hold of you, and you can't shake it. You can't let go. You can't get away from the grips. And that, could, that doesn't have to be addiction to alcohol or addiction to drugs. That could be addiction to pornography. That could be holding on to those past hurts or mistakes or grudges or whatever. It could be anything. But I just want you to think about these steps because when you look at it, you'll realize, and if you've ever been in an AA meeting or an AA program, then you will really appreciate what's happening here because this is from the Word of God. AA step one, admit you are powerless over your addiction. Your life has become unmanageable. Admit you need help. The lie that the addicts believe, I got this under control. I'm good. And everybody around you is saying, no, you don't. Your life is out of control unmanageable. You need help. Admit that you can't do this on your own. What did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is this all about? To me, step one is one summed up with one word. Confession. Confess. Confess to God. You don't have this under control. You're in trouble and you need help. Step two, believe a power greater than you can restore you can restore you, redeem you. As a Christian, we believe God redeems us. He works together all things for good. He finishes what he starts in you. He has a wonderful plan for you. And how do you do that? Brandon said it in Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Read the Bible. Listen to God's word. Renew. Renew. Step three, make the decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand Him. And that's the part that's been interpreted as this higher power. But the saying is, let go and let God. Surrender to God as we see Him in the Bible. I would love to have every person that's ever been in an AA program hear this and and let it sink in. There is only one higher power, my friends. There is only one higher power. His name is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty, God All-Powerful, and He is the only one that we should be surrendering to. And the word is repent. Repent. Turn from what you were doing and turn to God and hold on to God. Let go, confess, renew, repent. And that will take you on the road to recovery. And as the AA folks like to say, nothing changes if nothing changes. You won't be the same person if you let go and let God. You'll be better. Trust me. You'll be better. But you got to put in the work. Ask anybody that's ever tried to overcome an addiction. It takes 
work. And I love this saying they have, you can pray for potatoes, but then you've got to pick up a hoe. <laughs> that one might need a little revision, though, <laughs> these days. Put in the work. Let go, because it's the only option. That's why you should let go. It's the only option you have. Trust God has a better plan for you and hold on to God until he blesses you. Amen? Amen. I want to invite Brandon and Rob to head downstairs and prepare for their baptism, which we will do in a, in a little bit here. But I want to give you the opportunity, as you have just heard this message from the Word of God, and maybe, maybe there's some things right now that you're like, man, I need to let go of these things. I need to let go of these things. This is too much. I, I get it. I've been, I've been fooling myself. I think I have them under control. I don't. So maybe today, maybe for the very first time, or maybe this is the hundredth time you're doing it, and that's okay too. Confess. Confess and repent. Confess it to God. Let him know. God, I'm holding on to this, and I want to let it go today. I want to turn from doing that, and I want to turn to you and hold on to you. And will you help renew my mind? I promise to read my Bible, to keep coming to church, to be a part of a Bible study, to, to hold myself accountable with other people. Please, God, help me. Confess, repent, renew. And if this is the day that you do that, I say it's a glorious day. So I want to encourage you as we sing this final song about surrender, that you'll do that. Use this time. You can sing, you can pray, you can confess, you can come up to these steps. There's an altar here. And you can pray up here on your own if you'd like. But this is the time. I invite our team to come up and play this final song. Let me pray just to kind of get you into the, the mode of praying and thinking and fixing your eyes on Jesus. Father, thank you for your word today. And thank you so much for these two men that have made an obedient step towards you. God, may we all do that. God, if there's anyone here that's never been baptized, may they take that step to being baptized, which is a symbol of what's going on in our heart. Father, I pray for those that may have never surrendered their life to you. Maybe they think they've been in control of their life and they like being in control of their life, but God, they recognize that it's just not bringing them the happiness that they wanted. So God, I pray that it will help them, that today would be the day they surrender to you, confess and repent. May we, you renew them. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name.